Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is June the 30th, 2023. Happy birthday, America. We're about to celebrate the 4th of July, the 247th anniversary of the founding of our great nation. Um, And I'm so happy you could join me. Sorry I couldn't be there last week, but I am here today, and that's what counts. We have to sometimes live in the present. Um, We're living in a very turbulent era, and as we celebrate the birth of America, there's a faction of radical leftist lunatics that wish America had never been formed. And as I was thinking about what do I talk about today, I've been running errands and taking care of all the usual stuff that you take care of, especially uh, now that I'm retired. I, I tried to figure out where do I go with my conversation with you this evening, Yes, I really don't think of this as a program. It's kind of like a one-sided conversation, bear with me. But I thought that we should really examine how rather than building up our country, especially as we face threats from various directions from all over the world, um, there are politicians, primarily in the radical left, that are doing everything they can to destroy America. And this has been ongoing for quite some time. You know, when I studied political science back at Brooklyn College, I took a whole bunch of different classes. It was really a smorgasbord of studies. I started out as an engineering major. Those of you familiar with me know that. Uh, Two of my kids are very successful, super successful engineers. I'm not. But um, I wound up with a degree in communications, arts, and sciences. But along the way, I took classes in anthropology, uh, classes in uh, political science. You name it, I did it. Um, it's kind of like, as I say, a smorgasbord, and I'm not a big fan of academia. You know, I think the two most dangerous words that come out of universities uh, is the two-word phrase in theory. Because in theory, you can construct all sorts of fanciful situations, uh, but when you ground them in reality, the words that I prefer to use, but in reality, the fantasy of in theory goes out the window. But one of the things that I learned in political science, and it stuck with me, there was a class on political legitimacy and government. And the professor, who I thought was quite smart, said that when the government of a country loses legitimacy in the eyes of the vast majority of its citizens, almost invariably the result is revolution. And we have seen this ongoing effort for quite some time to tear down America by anarchists, by communists, by totalitarians, and they've all clumped together pretty much, and they've hijacked the Democrat Party. I'm a lifelong Democrat. And people say, well, how could you be a Democrat? And my answer is very simple. Back when I became eligible to vote, I hate to think of how many years ago it was. I'm on the wrong side of 70 now. 
the Democrat Party, for the most part, represented working Americans and the Republicans represented business owners. And both sides of the equation have legitimate complaints. And both sides of the equation can get ridiculous sometimes. Let's really be honest with each other. Uh, unbridled greed creates great problems for America, Americans for the world. And sometimes people that are just hell-bent on making money at any cost become a problem. And ultimately, by the way, push lots of workers to the left because they realize uh, that they're not able to realize their own dreams and aspirations because corporate greed or, or the, the greed of their employer or whatever is making things impossible. We're kind of there now. And it started with a massive influx of cheap, exploitable labor, not just the illegals, but high-tech workers. And, you know, everyone likes to be glib about it, and they say, well, you know, the Republicans are looking for cheap labor and the Democrats are looking for cheap votes, and I disagree. The Republicans are not looking for cheap labor. At least they weren't. They hope they're waking up. They seem to be. At least some of them are. Jeff Sessions certainly got it. I was very upset, therefore, about the falling out between Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions. I know Jeff. I had dinner with him and his wife. He quoted me from the floor of the Senate back in 2006 when I wrote an article for the Washington Times about comprehensive immigration reform, and I gave it a new and more descriptive and honest name. I called it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. The notion that you would give lawful status to millions of people who snuck into the country without the capacity to interview them let alone investigate who the hell they are and why they came and who they might be affiliated with. Most of the terrorists who've attacked our country, if you go to the 9-11 Commission report and the companion document, 9-11 Commission and Terrorist Travel, almost all of the foreign terrorists who've attacked America or came here seeking to attack America committed immigration fraud. Most of them came through ports of entry, not by running the borders. By the way, that doesn't mean you don't secure the border, because I assure you that especially with what Biden has done to the borders now, they are coming through the borders. We know that Hezbollah, for example, is working throughout Latin America with human traffickers and drug smugglers to flood people and narcotics into the United States, including sleeper agents. So, you know, I I referred to the immigration system as the immigration colander. To simply say we're going to plug the southern border is kind of like saying we're going to plug one hole in the bottom of a colander and call it a watertight bucket. Every hole in that colander is a problem. Every hole in the bottom of your rowboat has the capacity to put your rowboat at the bottom of the lake. So this narrow-minded, we're going to secure the southern border and we're going to ignore all the other failures of the immigration system is ridiculous. It's an absurdity. It's insulting. And yet lots of people will say to me, well, Mr. Cullis, shouldn't we first secure the border? What do you mean first? We're under attack from 48 directions, but just stay focused on that one item on the list. No, we have to walk and talk, walk and chew gum at the same time. But the whole idea is that the Democrat Party used to support labor. That's why they wanted tight immigration. The Republicans wanted open borders, not for cheap labor, but listen to the distinction They wanted, I believe, to cheapen labor, which is far worse. But what does that mean? Cheap labor means you're going to hire someone to come in, and he's going to paint your house, and he's going to charge you 10 bucks an hour less than somebody else. Okay. But if enough of those illegal alien or even visaed workers come to America willing to accept lower wages, and you admit enough of them, that becomes the new standard. So that if an American house painter says, gee whiz, I get 50 bucks an hour, and then homeowners tell him, sorry, Charlie, 
uh, the average house painter who comes here from country X only wants $30 an hour. If you want the job, you're going to have to accept 30 an hour. Well, we're just going to hire somebody else. Guess what just happened? We just suppressed the wage of every American house painter. I'm using house painters as an example. You can pick any industry. But if you bring in hundreds of thousands or millions of foreign workers willing to accept third world wages under third world conditions with the expectation of third world benefits, which is to say virtually no benefits, that becomes a new standard. So now American workers are in a race to the bottom to make themselves competitive with the third world. Let that sink in. If that's what we have exhibited, why is it that you think that the purchasing power of the average American is in the toilet? Right? Think about that. When my parents bought the house that I still live in, it took about three to four years of my dad's annual pay to buy the house, his gross pay. He didn't have the money on hand, of course, so he got a mortgage. Today, the average construction worker who wants to buy the same house would probably have to spend 11 times his or her annual pay. What happened? Annual pay is being suppressed because Americans are now competing with foreign workers. Alan Greenspan laid it out perfectly when he testified for Chuck Schumer back on April 30th, 2009, and said the solution to wage inequality, and here he was talking about high-tech, highly skilled workers, people with advanced degrees. He said Americans are making too much money. Too much money is being concentrated in one sector. And the solution is to make American workers compete with foreign workers. We have to stop shielding American workers. And if we could make Americans compete with foreign workers, we could eliminate that wage premium that they are getting because they shouldn't be making that much money. So if we can get them to compete with foreign workers by taking down the shield that protects them today, then you would greatly reduce inequality in wages between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. And he had the unmitigated chutzpah to refer to high-tech American middle-class workers as the privileged elite. He laid it out. He didn't pull punches. Nobody reported on it. When I approached Bob Goodlatte, the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, a number of years ago about it, he didn't want to talk about it. And then he finally told me that his son would love to bring in thousands and thousands and thousands of brilliant Indian programmers. And I told him that my first wife, my, my late first wife who died tragically in her early 30s of cancer over three decades ago, was a brilliant program, a Phi Beta Kappa graduate, MBA in computer science, and the people who worked with her and for her had comparable credentials. Well, we don't need them. We can bring in people from India. I said, wait a minute. As chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, you should be focused on what's in the best interest of the average American, not the average citizen of India. And when he told me about his son wanting thousands and thousands and thousands, you know, Carl Sagan, the astrophysicist, used to talk about billions and billions. Well, Bobby Goodlatte is Bob Goodlatte's son. And if you look him up, go online. He's an angel investor. He's worth millions of dollars. Young guy. Made a lot of his money, apparently, but he got his start with Zuckerberg at Facebook. So you have politicians on both sides of the aisle who have a conflict of interest in, in the laws that they pass. Because when they look at aliens coming into America, especially if they're immigration lawyers like Bob Goodlatte, who specialized in H-1B visas, by the way, that they don't see them as immigrants. They don't see them as aliens. 
They see all these people coming across the border as clients. This is the immigration delivery system, okay? So you destroy the wage structure for hardworking Americans, and then you're in shock when Americans say, gee whiz, capitalism isn't working for me. Well, the way it has been rigged and the way that the politicians are taking money from these leaders in these industries coerces them into doing what's in the best interests of corporate America, not the average American citizen. And that's in direct conflict with Abraham Lincoln's visionary view of America that was supposed to be a country of the people, by the people, and for the people. And Biden brings in five, six, seven million, God only knows how many. And there are people that still support Joe Biden. And I'm a lifelong Democrat. You know, at some point, we need to understand that if you can't get control over the border of this country, this country will end. Period. This isn't hypothetical. This is not in theory. This is in reality. Why why will it end? Because we are overwhelming the resources of America. We are flooding America with so many people that it's driving up the price of real estate, driving down labor, costing us a fortune. The Democrat Party wants money to go to the cities and states that are receiving these quote-unquote immigrants. I call them clients. But they're not allowed to use the money for any sort of law enforcement effort, but rather to provide them with housing. Because what's happening? We're spending billions of dollars on these NGOs, non-government organizations, so-called nonprofit. I want to know how you can be a nonprofit and get hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts. Is there an embezzler hiding somewhere under a desk? Nonprofit? Seriously? Really? And so the Biden administration is violating all the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. They're violating common sense. They're violating standing immigration law. I've spoken about this ad nauseum. I'm not going to spend much time on it tonight. But I was on a program uh, the other day on TNT Radio, Steve Hook. I enjoyed doing his program. And we got into this conversation. And he wanted to blame Joe Biden for everything that's wrong in America today. If it's bad, if it's evil, if it's wrong, if it's broken, point the finger at Joe Biden. And my answer was, hold on a minute. He was talking specifically about China. Steve Hook was. Joe Biden has done tremendous damage to America. And it includes the damage being done with China, with Iran. We can go down the laundry list. No argument. I'm not going to disagree. I I, I have the sense that Biden may well be the most corrupt president in history. You know, I had bosses when I became a federal agent who used to say to us, it's not enough as a federal agent to not engage in wrongdoing. You must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. And when you look at Hunter Biden and and you look at the text messages and uh, Hunter Biden's threats in negotiations that the big guy is, you know, going to do X, Y, and Z, it certainly creates an illusion of wrongdoing. I don't think any rational person could argue. But China didn't build its military up in the last two years. This has been going on for decades. I would argue it goes back to the Nixon administration and Henry Kissinger when they decided to bring China into the mainstream. Of course, General Motors needed to sell trucks, Pepsi needed to sell soda, and and God knows who wanted to sell what. So this is a, a, a big market, and we want a piece of the action. Well, here we are. Communism and capitalism cannot coexist. Communism believes that they can only be successful when the whole world is a communist state. That's their goal. China has not been ambiguous about their aspirations. They want to dominate the world and doing everything in their power to do it. 
and they have a head, a, a real heads up on us or a real um, advantage over us because they have a dictatorship. Democracies have always been described as the least efficient form of government, but it's better than any other form devised. And by the way, we come to the term democracy. And a lot of my conservative friends get all upset when I say that America is a democracy. They, they start pounding the table. Mr. Cutler, what are you talking about? America is a republic. If we're going to persuade our friends, neighbors, family, whoever, let's not get lost in the weeds. I see it happening all the time. So instead of having a conversation about why America is valuable, why our values need to be preserved, and by the way, America is not without its flaws, but I'll put America up against any other country. And usually when America makes really bad mistakes, it does so at the behest of corporations. Let's be honest about that, okay? The military-industrial complex, as General Dwight Eisenhower warned Americans as he left office as president, he had created the military-industrial complex in point of fact as a general to gear up and defeat the Nazis and, and to defeat Japan and so forth, but then he realized he created a monster. So he warned about it. Beware the military-industrial complex, and he was right. But the point of the matter is that if, if you understand where America stands, you have to understand that America is very important to preserve and protect because we, we were the arsenal of freedom. We stood for freedom and democracy and so forth. But when you have people saying, don't you dare use the word democracy, it's a republic, you confuse people that need to understand the issues from our perspective, frankly. There are different forms of democracy in broad terms. A democratic government is a government ruled by its own people. We can talk about parliament and Congress and whether there's a, a monarchy or not. Fine, there's all different forms of democracies. But shorthand, America is a democracy. It's just like saying there's a car with an internal combustion engine. Does it have eight cylinders? Does it have four cylinders? Is it a diesel engine? Does it have a turbocharger? No, it's got an internal combustion engine. Let's move on. Right? Don't get lost in the weeds because you're losing an opportunity to communicate effectively with your neighbors. Because if you sit down with your fellow American, and I've traveled all over this great country, and you compare notes, almost everybody has the same concerns and the same dreams, the same aspirations. We all want to live in a secure country where anybody willing to study hard, work hard, and benefit from a bit of good luck can write the next American success story, period. But what the politicians, especially on the radical left, have done is to try to divide America. They're doing it now with race. They want to go back to segregation, and people call them progressive. There's nothing progressive about segregation. It's regressive. And then we call them liberals, or at least many people do. I don't call them What's liberal about the Democrat Party? I am a liberal. I make no excuse, no apology. I will crow like a rooster from the rooftop of my house. I am a liberal. What does that mean? You know, we're busy labeling everybody. Well, when I was growing up in Brooklyn, a liberal was someone who absolutely celebrated the First Amendment, right? I disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. That's a liberal. A liberal would never think of censoring somebody unless the person was trying to organize violence or unless the person was yelling fire in a crowded theater when there was no fire. With those two limitations, 
if you truly are liberal, then you believe that everybody is entitled to his or her opinion and has an ironclad, bulletproof, absolute constitutional right to stand on a street corner and spew whatever it is that their ideological belief tells them to spew without fear. There's a great song that Sinatra sings. Other people have sung it, The House I Live In, uh, or sometimes known as What Is America To Me? And there's a, a line that says, it's the right to speak your mind out. That's America to me. Does that sound like today's Democrat Party, the cancel culture party? But by the way, I've encountered conservatives who are almost as bad. I won't mention names. I've traveled all over this country. I've made incredible friends everywhere. Uh, really, some of the folks I've met, it, really, it's a privilege to consider them friends, former military generals, and uh, you name it, I've met them, and, and, and it enriches my life and, and makes me so proud. I wish I could share it with my parents. Uh, they passed away when I was in college, but, but I would love to be able to say to them, this is what I've been doing, and this is who I'm friends with. And if my parents said you judge uh, somebody by the friends they keep, and I'm certainly proud of mine. But I remember there was a woman, we got into a discussion on the phone, and I had been to her hometown, and we had dinner together a number of times. And I said, you know, I'm so sorry that Trump and, and, and Sessions had a falling out. Trump had every right to fire him, but Jeff was the first senator to support his campaign. And then I talked about Sessions being probably the best senator or one of the very best senators on the immigration issue. Um, he, in fact, was the chairman of a committee on immigration and, and, you know, the average American. I forget the exact name of the, of the committee, but he was right there. I stood shoulder to shoulder with him. And this woman was so angry with me. She said that Sessions was a traitor, and if I support Sessions, she could no longer talk to me. And she hung up on me. I have to tell you, I was flabbergasted. We are entitled to our opinions. And we need to understand that we don't have all the answers. My parents warned me that when someone tells you they have all the answers, the best thing you could probably do is run for your life. Now, I could see someone saying, Mr. Cutler, I disagree with you. And that's fine. I think Sessions was dead wrong. That's cool. I could live with you saying it. I might not agree with you. But that's how the process of debate and discourse is supposed to work. But the fact that I said it upset me that, that Donald Trump um, damaged Jeff Sessions when he got rid of him, that Jeff couldn't even reclaim his house, his Senate seat. This woman hung up on me. We have to be better than that, folks. We must be better than that. We need to engage our neighbors in conversations. America's future is hanging in the balance. We are truly at crossroads. We are at the precipice of the abyss. And even if people disagree with us on highly contentious issues, and, and let's, for example, talk about abortion. I know people get very emotional, and I understand why people get emotional. But when we talk about an issue like, for example, immigration, this has nothing to do with abortion. And you shouldn't be refusing to speak to somebody because they disagree with you one way or the other on the abortion issue. That's what the enemies of America want. That's why they're doing this whole thing with equity, not equality. That's why they're doing this whole thing with white privilege. We've seen this ploy carried out before. That's how the Holocaust started. These politicians are doing everything in their power to convince Americans of color that they could be living the perfect life if only there weren't these evil white people running around the country. It's insanity. 
We need to develop empathy for one another. We lack empathy. Too many people conjugate verbs in the first person singular. Hey, what does that mean? They only see things from their own perspective. If you really want to be fair and reasonable, you need empathy. My parents gave me great advice when I was a kid. They said, put yourself in, your, in the other person's shoes. If you're having a fight with your friend, sit down and think it through. Did you do or say something that may justify the fact that your friend is now very angry with you? If so, you might owe that person an apology. Now, maybe that's not the case, and then you can stick to your guns. But contemplate the possibility that there's two sides to the story. Somebody wisely said that in a divorce, there's at least three sides, his, hers, and the truth. Okay? So what we really need to do is to try to understand why our neighbors might disagree with us or think they disagree with us. The name calling is very effective. If you suggest that we secure our borders, you're labeled anti-immigrant. When Nancy Pelosi, lying through her teeth, and she's an accomplished liar, said that the the border wall was a wall of shame and a wall of hate, the border wall was not designed to stop the entry of a single alien into the United States. That's not what the purpose of the wall was. Okay? If that was the case, the border wall would have shut off ports of entry, but it didn't. It was just to make sure that we did everything reasonable to force anybody and anything that was being brought into America to go through a port of entry so that it could be vetted, we could create a record of entry, and we had the opportunity then to not allow people in who would do harm to us. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, it enumerates the categories of aliens to be excluded from the United States. It has nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. That's nonsense. It's about aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases. Think about COVID. Think about Ellis Island was a quarantine station, right? Aliens who are severely mentally ill and therefore pose a threat to public safety. Aliens who are criminals, terrorists, spies, human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice, human traffickers, drug smugglers, aliens who've been previously deported, aliens who lied in order to get visas, or other immigration benefits, aliens who, if they work, would displace Americans and drive down wages, as I described earlier, or aliens who would become a public charge because America certainly shouldn't have to support people who shouldn't be here. Harry Reid made a big speech about that when he was a brand-new senator. Stood on the floor of the U.S. Senator, U.S. Senate, pounded the podium. We shouldn't give citizenship to the children of illegal aliens. We shouldn't give anything to people who are here illegally. If you're here illegally, you need to go home. And then the winds of change blew through Washington, and suddenly Reed and all of his leftist cohorts said, we should give these people a path to citizenship. Why? We're spending more money on illegal alien clients than we are on our wounded veterans, than we are on American children. Think about everything that is happening, how this is tearing America apart, flooding America with so many people that we don't know what to do with them. We're destroying cities around the country. If you don't think this is a concerted effort to take down America, I'm sorry, I disagree with you. I wrote an article a while back when Joe Biden first proposed comprehensive immigration reform, and as I mentioned earlier, I came to call it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. I said, you know, maybe we need a new name for this nonsense. Let's call it the Overwhelm America Act. If you keep on bringing in limitless numbers of people, ultimately America will crumble. If you go to a bowling alley, a bar, a restaurant, a movie theater, they always have signs up. 
occupancy by more than 412 people, 609 people, 300. That notice is put there by the fire commissioner. Why? Because they know how many people can safely occupy the space, how many people can evacuate that building in a limited period of time and so forth. So for safety concerns, or maybe even structural concerns that the floor doesn't collapse. We've seen buildings collapse when too many people go there. They said, we have a limit. We have a limit. When they design new airplanes, they have to be able to evacuate the airplanes out of those slides within a time limit. And if they can't meet the time limit, then they have to decrease the number of people that can be traveling on that airplane. Because if the plane lands and there's an emergency and they deploy the chutes, they want everybody out before the plane bursts into flames. So they impose limits. This isn't bigotry. It's not anti-passenger. When you go to a baseball game or a football game, you're not allowed to traipse across the field after you climb over the fence. You're expected to go through a gate, buy a ticket, maybe undergo a metal detector screening, and then take your seat in the stands and enjoy the game and everybody lives. Is it anti-fan to expect the people to enjoy the game go through a gate. We do the same thing with movie theaters, right? But somehow have Americans convinced that if you put up a fence to make sure that everyone goes through a port of entry so we can screen them, you're a racist, a bigot, a hated, a xenophobe, and the list goes on. Actually, if you think it's a bad idea to require that people be screened, maybe you're suicidal. But nobody ever makes the appropriate arguments. And if you do make the appropriate argument, the so-called mainstream media won't even cover the conversation. I was on Fox and Friends first a couple of years ago. It was the last time I was on with them. I don't know if one has anything to do with the other. But the young lady I was on the show, it was about 5 o'clock in the morning, and we were talking about this whole issue of, of immigration, and it was, uh, you know, how, how many people are coming in, and what do we do with them all? And, and I said, listen, would you get on an airplane if you saw people sneaking past the TSA inspectors at the airport? And she let out a squeal and said, oh, my God, no. I said, well, then why are we being told that we're unreasonable if we think it's wrong that we're now being forced to live among millions of foreign nationals who have no inherent right to be here who evaded a very similar vetting process that we conducted ports of entry? And when I walked off the set at the end of my segment, I got high fives from the whole crew on the set. They said, wow, no one's ever raised that question before. That's the kind of question you should be asking your friends and neighbors. When you have conversations, don't end by insulting them. Oh, you're a libertard. What is that? First of all, the Democrats are not liberals. In their dreams, they're liberals. I just explained to you they're anything but liberal. They're totalitarians, and they are fascists. Call them what they are. But the idea of name-calling is childish, it's counterproductive, and no one's going to talk to you. No one's going to listen to you. And at the end of the conversation, think of a question that you want to leave the person with. Because when you make a statement that's just you bloviating or just me bloviating, I don't care who it is. Oh, there he goes again, last shot. How to get in that last shot. Okay. So instead of the last shot, end the conversation with a question. Ask them, for example... You have children. Are you concerned about the cost of education? Are you concerned about the fact that back in 2006, the Congressional Budget Office, I think it was 2006, did a study and found that it costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate children who cannot speak, read, or write English? So when we spend all that money on English as a second language, guess what we're not spending money on? 
children with learning disabilities. You know, I've mentioned this innumerable times. My youngest son has autism, Asperger's. But because of the incredible work of his teachers, his therapists, and, and goodness gracious, his, you know, indomitable spirit, he had a full scholarship, got his degree in engineering, and he's a highly successful engineer right now as we speak. But the money for those programs is now being spent on English as a second language. Who's being hurt by it? American children. If you look at what's happening in the terrible neighborhoods where there's crime and violence, those kids live a hopeless life. The violence is unspeakable. And criminals are out on the street, drive-by shootings, take how many lives? And these people are scared. They're angry. They're frustrated. They feel helpless. They feel hopeless. And the radical left are telling them, well, the reason you're in this situation is obviously because whites have white privilege and you don't. Really? Success comes from hard work. My mother came to the United States as a 13-year-old ahead of the Holocaust. And believe me, bigotry is not limited to blacks. It's not limited to any group. You can go out throughout history and see where the stupidity of bigotry and racism hurt people of every flavor because human beings are flawed species. I have a lot of issues with our species. Uh, one of my favorite bumper stickers says, I, I, you know, the more people I meet, the more I love my dog. It happens to be true. But instead of creating opportunities and saying, look, we can look at other people who've been able to overcome the difficulties and we'll do everything we can to bootstrap you into a position of success, what the radical left is doing now is to try to create resentment one race against another race. They're trying to create a race war, I believe. And we saw this play out in the Holocaust. The Germans who were hanging out in the beer gardens and were unsuccessful were told, you're unsuccessful because the Jews have taken your success. And they hammered away and they hammered away. It was called the big lie. If you keep repeating a lie at every opportunity, pretty soon people think the lie is true. And over a short period of time, beginning with Kristallnacht, the Holocaust began. Six million Jews, 13 million human beings altogether were killed. And it all started by vilifying and scapegoating Jews and several other groups of people. And when I look at what's happening now, I am fearful because it reverberates. My family was decimated in the Holocaust. My mother's mother couldn't get out of Poland. I was named for her. And my mother came here at the age of 13, lived by herself in a rooming house, because she had tons of white privilege, obviously, and she was also obviously responsible for slavery. She came here in the 1920s. And by the time she was in her mid-20s with a fourth-grade education, she became the chief buyer of a dress company that was so successful during the Depression that her boss became one of Roosevelt's dollar-a-year men. And he frequently pointed to my mom in her mid to late 20s as the reason he was so successful. She wasn't educated, but boy, was she brilliant. And there is a world of difference, as we all know, between being smart and being educated. How many dumb PhDs have we met? Piled high and deep. PhD indeed. So my mother's life story is an example of success. I am sorry that they did not teach about the Tuskegee Airmen when I went to college. I, I worked for Tuskegee Airmen at the Audiovisual Center at Brooklyn College, uh, my dad died. I needed to get a job to help support myself and my mom, and she was dying of cancer at that point, and I was 20 years old. 
And the guy that I worked for, George Bing, was a member of the Tuskegee Airmen, and he was an amazing teacher, taught me all about photography. And on lunch breaks, he would sit there, and we would have lunch together, and he told me incredible stories about the Tuskegee Airmen. Now, of course, there's movies about them. This should have been part of the curriculum, how every American from every racial group, every religious group, every ethnicity pulled together to preserve this great republic. There's a group called the Ritchie Boys. Look them up. 60 Minutes did an amazing story. These were Jewish kids who came here from Germany, and as soon as they came here, joined the U.S. Army and became part of the forerunner of the CIA, the Office of Strategic Services. They were trained at Camp Ritchie in New Jersey, and they went back and they did interrogations and gathered intelligence because they spoke the language and were certainly familiar with the countryside. And they were credited with a ton of military successes. And many of you heard about the Ritchie boys. We need to emphasize how everybody came together for a common cause. But that, of course, flies in the face of where we now stand with what the lunatic left is trying to do to America and Americans. This whole thing with gays. In New Jersey, the Jersey government is suing its own citizens because they want the schools to let them know if their child is trying to identify as a different sex. Do you think parents should know? If your child goes home sick or your child misbehaves, shouldn't the parent know? They used to do these great commercials. You know, it's 8 o'clock. Do you know where your child is? Children and parents are supposed to work together. Most people who are successful, there are exceptions, but the great majority of people who are successful, what do they have in common? They will tell you about a mother, a father, or both, or perhaps a grandparent or an aunt or uncle, somebody who raised them, an adult, who took them under their wing and made their lives better, gave them goals, gave them moral principles, and and, and helped them to become successful. Um, Ben Carson if you remember, talked about how his mother forced him to do book reports during the summer. He was a failing student, and and, and look how he turned out. I was on a radio show a couple of months ago, and the host asked me what I was most proud of. I think he was expecting me to talk about one of my investigations. I certainly have no shortage of investigations I can talk about, people that I arrested, murderers, terrorists, the list goes on. But I said, what am I most proud of? I'm most proud of being a father and being a grandfather. And he said, wow, I was surprised. I thought you would talk about your work. And I said, let me tell you, if I fail as a parent, nothing else I do matters. That's how important parents are and how important parenting is. And when my first wife died, our son was 22 months old. So for a number of years, it was just the two of us. I can't tell you how challenging it was, but he is incredibly successful. It amazes me. Um, It brings tears of joys to my eyes because that was my goal, to be the best parent I could be. Put your child ahead of yourself. My parents did it for me. I do it for my children. And I know they're doing it for their children because I'm incredibly lucky to have some of the most amazing grandchildren in the world. We're fortunate. Things don't always go smoothly. We've been quite lucky. But the point is that now you're seeing the political forces of the radical left trying to drive a wedge between children and their own parents. I was the parent association president of my daughter's public school. I was very proud to do that. It was around the time of 9-11. The parents asked me. I was home with an injured leg. They said, you know, I was two blocks away from the school. I was going nuts, not being able to do anything with a bum knee at the time. I wound up needing knee surgery. 
And the principal asked me what I do. And so for a year, I was the Parents Association president of my daughter's public school. And the emphasis was on trying to get parents more involved with their children, to help the children with homework, to help motivate the kids to do the right thing, to keep tabs on who their children are hanging out with. It's very important to keep an eagle eye on your children, on your grandchildren, to make certain they're not hanging out with the wrong kids and picking up the bad habits. Anybody who's rational and reasonable would agree. So now in New Jersey, the governor is saying that the schools are prohibited from letting parents know if their son or daughter has decided that they no longer want to identify as girl or boy. Don't you think parents have an absolute bulletproof, ironclad right to know if something drastic like that is happening and they want to be able to counsel children who are in fourth grade about sex change? Listen, why don't we be done with it and eliminate the ratings on movies? You know, rated X, rated R, rated 13, PG, whatever. If you can discuss sex change operations with a fourth grader, then all bets are off. I don't know why everyone's so upset about Epstein. He was only the role model, apparently, for these politicians who are deviants. I frankly don't give a damn what anyone's sexual preference is. Doesn't matter to me. Do what you want as long as everybody involved does it in private and is a consenting adult who's not being coerced. It's very simple. Knock yourself out. Life is a tough proposition. Live your life to the fullest. I have no problem with it. Perhaps there's a libertarian uh, component to the way I see the universe. But that's not what that group wants. They're the ones running around talking about toxic masculinity and all this other nonsense to weaken America so that you don't have men growing up who know how to stand on their own two feet and defend themselves. We have men today who apparently are confused if they have to urinate to give the vulgarity. I don't think China's military suffers from those problems. I don't think Russia's military suffers from those problems. I don't think Iran's military suffers from that problem, because in Iran, if you're gay, they'll throw you off a roof. So the same idiots that are trying to tear down America don't understand that if, God forbid, America ceases to exist, their life expectancy might be reduced. You have politicians and wackaloons who have convinced millions of Americans to act against their own best interest. If this isn't a con job of an incredible proportion, then I want to know what a con job is. Just stop and think about it. And it all started with immigration. It all started with immigration. Oh, they're going to do the work Americans won't do or can't do. Yes, Americans are lazy and Americans are stupid. So the physically demanding jobs, Americans won't do that. And the jobs that require real intellect, oh, they're too stupid. Really? We went to the moon over 50 years ago repeatedly and came back safely, and I actually got to meet some of the astronauts who went to the moon. Jim Lovell, Dave Scott, Jim McDivitt, the honor of my life. I got to meet Gene Krantz. I have a photo with Gene Krantz. Uh, I met one of our recent astronauts who's now over at Space Force and I was giving a speech in Washington. These guys were my heroes. America is too stupid? Seriously? When you look at the clowns that we elect to public office, I wonder about the intelligence of the average American, frankly. But to turn around and tell school 
uh, leaders, you cannot discuss thing as significant the sexual orientation of a child with that child's own mother and father, and now there is a lawsuit? Folks, there's something terribly broken here. This is pathological. This is pathological. There is a movie that if you get to see it online or on cable, it's worth it, the experiment or going back to the 70s, how people were convinced that they were using electroshock to shock people that were giving wrong answers in an experiment. These were actors. They weren't getting shocked, but the participants had no clue. And they talked about how if you stand in the middle of a city with four or five people, there's a magic number. I forget if it's five or six. And you just look up without saying anything. Within 10 minutes, you'll be surrounded by 200 yo-yos staring up in the sky, not even knowing what they're looking at. It is so easy to persuade people about the should be unpersuadable. Um, George Orwell had a couple of really great quotes. One of, one of the quotes that he had um, is, who controls the past controls the future, who controls the present controls the past. And this is why the study of history is so important. And we're being told, well, since America in 1619 began with slavery, we're forever and always a terrible country. So here's my question. There's something to think about. The United States went to war with Japan in 1941. Japan is one of our closest allies, right? Should we not be an ally of Japan or Germany or Italy because at one point in history we were at war or France or England? America should not be involved with any of those countries if we ever had a battle with them. I mean, that's the logical, illogical conclusion to the lunacy. Nobody should ever be allowed out of jail on parole or probation. Why? Well, you've been convicted of a crime. You're forever guilty. America will be forever guilty of slavery, even though the people in 1619 who were behind it are long dead, along with how many generations of their, of their descendants. But America is an evil country because it began with slavery, so we, we cross America off the list. Why don't we look at China and Iran and all these other countries and look into their backgrounds. And then I would ask, where would you rather live? What country is pure? And you know the answer. There is no such thing. And there's nobody who is without fault. Everybody, one way or the other, has to use the expression feet of clay. But cancel culture. We need to cancel America because it started with slavery. America was the country that fought most forcefully to end slavery. America provided opportunities for people from all over the world. We have the most diverse population of any country in the world. But never mind that, because in 1619, slaves came to America. There is a lack of capability of understanding and rational thinking, and I will tell you that it is my belief, and I've seen this in my own conversations with people at dinner parties and barbecues and get-togethers, just sit down and have a calm conversation no fights no screaming and please no name calling and let's stop defining each other as liberal or conservative those labels are bs they mean nothing they mean nothing okay we want a label what team do you belong to you know what team i belong to i'd like to belong to team america we should all want to belong to and the founding fathers were not without their flaws 
But how did it start out? In order to form a more perfect union, which grammatically is problematic, by the way, more perfect union. But the point of the matter is the founding fathers understood that America would always be a work in progress. We would always find problems and we would always fix the problem. But speaking about problems, it all started when the clowns that want to take America down started to use the word disrupt. I really believe that a lot of this language business is strategic. They would say, this company is disruptive. They're disrupting an engine. How is that good? According to the dictionary, to disrupt is to interrupt an event, activity, or process by causing a disturbance or a problem, to drastically alter or destroy a structure. Wow, how cool. We're going to disrupt. No, we used to say that a company was revolutionary, that it was a game changer, right? Futuristic, um, all kinds of verbs and adjectives to describe companies and, and people and so forth. No, they started using the word disrupt. So what is now happening is that if you can disrupt America, that's great. COVID did one hell of a job on disrupting America, making people wear face masks did one hell of a job on disrupting the ability of people to communicate. Locking down schools and all these other things that were done disrupted education. And by the way, when we talk about reading scores being in the toilet, I don't think it's only because of COVID. I'd like to know how many reading scores are being pulled down because we've imported how many millions of students from other countries who can't read or write English. So when they take the test, they crater. So when you add their zeros to whatever the test scores were for the American kids, what does that do to the average? But nobody wants to talk about that because immigration is still a sacred cow. But just stop and think about that. Just stop and think about it. Could it be that a massive influx of foreign students who are not English proficient are helping to pull down reading scores, math scores, and science scores? Just a thought. Just a thought. We're seeing drugs flowing unabated into the country. We know that drugs cause mental illness. You have the lunatic left wanting to disarm America, but wanting to legalize every sort of drug imaginable, which is going to create mental illness problems, which leads to violent crime, including mass shootings. I'd love to see the toxicology report on anybody and everybody who shoots somebody in the commission of a crime, especially when there's more than one person shot. They do it with car crashes. Charlie Jones was going 80 miles an hour when he crashed into a school bus, killing three children and, and, and badly injuring the teacher on board the bus. By the way, Charlie's blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit. We see it all the time. When was the last time you heard about a mass shooting and they talked about whether or not the shooter was drunk or acting under the influence of narcotics? Narcotics that we can't seem to import enough of into the United States and neither party has the moral fiber to stand up and run ads on television the way they've done with cigarettes, warning people about the dangers of drugs. Why? Because if you took drug money out of Wall Street, banking, and real estate, they'd go belly up. Our country is floating on drug money, and the people who die, and it's hundreds of thousands, are just collateral damage. Speed bumps. Speed bumps. We've got to wake up. And we need to have these conversations with our neighbors. And again, when they disagree or you disagree with them on a particular issue, I don't care if it's abortion, I don't care if it's school prayer, that's great. 
set it aside, put it in a nice little box, put a bow on it and say, you know what, once we solve the rest of America's problems, we'll come back and visit this issue that you and I disagree on. But let's try to survive before we get into an issue that won't matter if some other country takes us over and dictates our policies. Is that an unreasonable suggestion? You want to get off an airplane, the plane has crash-landed, is that the time to have a conversation about whether or not the passenger next to you has a tie that matches a sports jacket? Focus on the task at hand. The task at hand, folks, is survival. Survival of America, survival of our citizens. You know, the shared common mission of the U.S. military is to keep the enemies of America as far from our shores as possible. But up close in person, guess who gets that message or that, that, that mission? It's immigration. It's, it's the Coast Guard, it's the Border Patrol, and it's ICE. And it only took 19 terrorists on 9-11 to carry out the deadliest attack ever launched in America. 3,000 dead that day, more than the number of people who died because of the Japanese fleet attacking Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And the death toll has since more than doubled because of other people who've now died because of their exposure to toxins when the towers collapsed. And meanwhile, we're playing games and we're pussyfooting around. And meanwhile, your politicians saying, well, maybe what we should really do, we'll secure the border and then we'll talk about comprehensive immigration reform. Great. So we'll bring in another 100 million children because if you legalize 25 or 30 million illegal aliens who are here now, without interviews, I might add, without any kind of an investigation, they will have an absolute, immediate, instantaneous right to bring in all of their minor children literally overnight. And if you look at Mayorkas' background, I guarantee you they will not be doing, D, doing DNA testing to make sure that the guy that claims he has eight kids is actually their father and maybe doesn't have any children at all. What would America look like if we admitted 100 million kids in the next two years? What would that do to the schools? What would that do to the environment? There's a severe water shortage. Every person who's here needs 100 gallons of water today. According to what the Homeland Security Committee said during their hearing a couple of weeks ago, somewhere around 7 million aliens, perhaps more, entered the United States under Biden. You know what that means? Every day, 700 million gallons of water are being consumed by people who shouldn't even be here. And that's just water. What about food? What about electricity? What about housing? What about transportation? What about other infrastructure, whether it's hospitals or schools, trains or buses? This is about overwhelming America so that America cannot possibly survive. Think about that. And the news media is no help. Again, let's go to Orwell. You know, they used to say, let's go to the videotape. Let's go to Orwell. In a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. How's that for an interesting quote? Is that not true? Is that not true? It certainly is. And another great quote from Orwell, the most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. Do you think it was a coincidence that those statues were torn down during the riots that were not deemed to be an insurrection, by the way? What, did they have 100 Secret Service agents injured at the White House when the goons tried to storm the fences? That was a mostly peaceful demonstration. Forgive me, I get confused all the time. Or the church that was set fire to across from the White House. I, I guess somebody was smoking in bed. Really? 
this was a concerted effort to destroy America by destroying families, by destroying cities. Look at what San Francisco has turned into, New York, Chicago. The fundamental question that every politician should be forced to answer, simple, I don't care if they're running for door catcher or president, how are your policies in the best interests of America and, more importantly, the average American citizen? That's the question. That's the question. Fourth of July weekend is a wonderful time to get together with friends and family and neighbors. And I hope it's a, it's a great time for all of you wherever you are. But um, maybe this would be a good opportunity to, to have some conversations, not arguments, calm conversations and say, look, we need to think carefully about what's happening. Because nothing less than the survival of America and as a consequence, the survival of our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, Nothing less than their survival and their futures is at stake. It was the greatest generation that saved democracy during the Second World War. If we're not careful, ours could be the last generation. Let's remember to celebrate America's birthday. We can certainly consider what we need to do to make America better. My dad used to say nothing is so good it couldn't be made better or be so bad it couldn't be made worse. But let's remember, uh, as my mom said, you don't throw out dirty water till you have clean water. Um, I will put America up against any other country. And if there's some bozo out there that wants to see an end to America, that's fine. They're entitled to that opinion. Then my question is, what do you plan to replace it with? That's the question we should all be asking these nitwits. Please get involved, folks. You know, I, I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. There have been a whole bunch of news releases coming out of Washington about um, aliens who've been involved with terrorism. There was one just now from the Justice Department, and they described the person as a citizen of, uh, I think it was Ohio or whatever. turns out that he came here from Iraq, and he was connected to ISIS, and he, was just, uh, he just pleaded guilty to, to crimes involving terrorism. But you've got to love it, because the way they described it was, you know, like Ohio man. And then when you read the Justice Department press release, you find out that Ohio man is really Iraqi man. We're under a real threat between the cartels, the drugs, criminals. We really need to step up to the plate. Um, I, I really hope that you will take to heart the message. Get involved. The truth, the facts, common sense, and morality are all on our side shouldn't be a hard case for us to make when we sit down with our friends and neighbors and have that conversation that we should end, as I pointed out before, with an intelligent, cogent question. Questions are powerful things. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Meanwhile, everybody, have a great night and a great Fourth of July weekend. See you next week.